Welcome back, listeners. You are listening to the Handle Your Scandal podcast. I'm your host, Mara Watkins. Thank you for tuning in. Today, we have a super accomplished guest, and she's also one of my sorority sisters. Her name is Shara. Hey, everyone. So Shara is a Chicago native who completed her master's of education in counseling with a specialization in college counseling and student affairs at DePaul University. And she also earned her bachelor's in management from the same university. And she is currently pursuing her PhD in counselor education and supervision to be a leader for future generations of students, counselors, and practitioners. She's also my sorority sister, which I already mentioned but I'm gonna say it again (laughs) and she's a trustee for our sororities education foundation and I'm sure she does so much more that I'm we're gonna get into in this episode so yeah Shara thanks for coming well coming thanks for talking to me (laughs) thank you for having me uh again I mean Mara really hit a lot of the main points but I am super excited to share with you all and just like talk about some of my experiences. Um, I definitely don't have all the answers, don't plan to give all the answers, but hoping we can have some good conversation. Yeah, so Shara, do you want to tell the listeners anything else about yourself that maybe I missed? Um, Besides being a Hufflepuff for, uh, you know, in Harry Potter. Okay. I, you know, I'm also a sister and I have my nieces and my nephews who I I care about greatly. Um, And I I really just, I'm a plant mom and I think we'll probably get to that at some point today too. But yeah, I'm very homebound, rooted, and just trying to learn and grow. We love to hear it. Honestly, truly, growth is very essential for, you know, us as people. Well, at least if, I don't know, I feel like some people don't want to grow as people, but I think I like to surround myself with people who do want to grow as people, so I appreciate that. Um, we haven't chatted in a while, so tell me what's been up. What you been up to lately? The biggest thing for me, kind of not lately, but in August of last year, I moved to where I live now, um, where my university is, outside of Chicago, about an hour or so. For my, ma- for my oh, not my master's, for my doctorate program, and... Uh, you know, due to the quarantine, really, there's just been a lot of at home stuff, but trying to write articles, but mainly read articles. I feel like you have to be a good reader to be a writer and taking care of my plans. As I mentioned, I'm harping on that. But um, otherwise, though, decorating my home, reading books, doing yoga, but I'm, I'm doing all right. Ooh, how long have you been doing yoga? Listen... <laughs> Definitely not like long enough to like be saying I do yoga to people, but <laughs> I'm hoping to like become someone who can like post a picture and be like, oh, look at me, you know. <laughs> no, I definitely felt that. I recently wrote a post about how I attempted a like 30 day yoga challenge and I maybe got to day seven and was like, well. <laughs> yes, yoga will kick your butt. <laughs> I was not expecting it to, so it was kind of funny because I was just like, yeah, I'm going to be this yogi. I'm going to be able to stretch really far and get flexible. And yeah, that was that's not what happened. So that's really funny. Um, So tell me, you mentioned that you moved about an hour away from Chicago, but tell me what it was like growing up in Chicago. You know, people have all these preconceived notions, which I think is ignorant, but uh, I mean, 
that's just me. <laughs> so tell me what it was like growing up in Chicago, though. Yeah, I so I moved to Chicago when I was seven um, from my birthplace, which is Decatur, Illinois, a city in more southern part of Illinois. But I, I lived on the west side of Chicago. My neighborhood was predominantly black. My school was probably all black. Like I can't even remember someone who wasn't black that I knew from school. And um, I mean, you definitely, at least where I lived, was confronted with, you know, drugs and police brutality and poverty. Um, I grew up very poor and that's something that I am very open with talking about um, because I don't find that that's something to be ashamed about, right? Like it's it's a system problem. Yeah, not at all. And um, I I actually, there's a few memories that I remember and one of them is I used to play double Dutch, like many young black girls did. Wow, Uh, I definitely don't know how to double dutch to this day, so I'm very jealous. I'm pretty sure my mom tried to teach me and just gave up. (laughs) That's all right. Maybe that'll be like my podcast, like a motivational how to double dutch. Uh, And I remember at one point, like I didn't have enough friends to play with because of people, you know, going wherever they were going. And the drug dealers on our block would turn the rope for us. And... So I always try to to share that, not to glorify, you know, people who sell drugs or not to glorify the violence that is attached with drugs in neighborhoods, um, but really to give some nuance to the fact that these are still people who care about the people in their community. And um, I, I sit with that because it was very important to me. I felt loved. I felt cared about. I knew they sold drugs, but like if I needed somebody to turn the rope for me, they would. As I got older, I I learned more about really what it meant to be black in Chicago. It's a very segregated city. And if you are someone who's not from here, that's not really something that you would know. You just go downtown, you do your tourist spots and you go home and you don't really look at how different different neighborhoods are treated in the city, how different schools get funding, um, even just what resources are available in those neighborhoods. So, I mean, I, I love the community. I love being around other black people. I love Chicago. I think it has done a lot for labor unions, uh, done a lot for education and access and being a leader in some of that. But what, what the city gets wrong, it definitely gets wrong on a scale that is very noticeable. Um, there is a, a few years ago in 2012, 2013 or so, the city closed about 53 public schools. Some of Wow. That were, wow. Yeah. And at that point, I had just started my bachelor's degree. Yes, I had just started my bachelor's degree. I went to C- CPS, so Chicago Public Schools, for grammar school and elementary, wherever you, whatever you call it, where you're from, and then also for high school. And for high school, I went to what we have are selective enrollment schools. So you may not be um, in the neighborhood of that school because typically here you go to your neighborhood school. So if you live on X block, you go to the school that serves students who live from X block. That's it. That's your neighborhood school. That's where you go. Unless you apply for a selective enrollment school, which you take a a test, they put all these different factors that are involved and you rank the schools you want to get into. And, a base, and basically, you, you're trying to test into a better school, a better funded school, a more resourced school, um, perhaps a school with teachers who care 
or not even care because teachers are caring, but schools that support their teachers a little bit more as well. And so I went to that school for high school, but I still remembered just how disparate my experience was there and my experience in my all black schools on the west side of Chicago. So when they closed these schools in 2012, 2013, I was already in my bachelor's program and um, that hurt. Yeah, I can imagine that. I can't even, well, I can't imagine, I should say, because I can't even imagine something like that happening here. Yeah, and some of it was they're being underutilized, which is a very interesting thing to say about a place of education, right? Right, right. (laughs) Like, what does that even mean? Um, And essentially what they're saying was, well, there's not a lot of students who are attending the school but, but then not interrogating, so why are people moving out of the neighborhood? Um, or why are people trying to go to these other schools? And how are we not supporting the school as it is now? So they combine schools, they try to turn around schools, which is the language we use. Um, and then they closed about 50, I'll just say 50 of them. With that as well, we closed the mental health clinics on the south and west sides of Chicago. All right, now this is just getting <laughs> ridiculous. So we, we did all that, right, because they were underutilized or they didn't have the funding. Um, and so we now have students who maybe were going to their neighborhood school and that neighborhood school has drama with another neighborhood school because, you know, that's what happens sometimes when communities are separated. And now we're forcing them to go to the same school together so of course that caused some more issues um, and yeah. an, an adjustment for the families. And recently Eve Ewing, who is a, a scholar and a Chicagoan and Marvel comic book writer, um, I listened to her share at a, a talk she was giving at my undergraduate institution about institutional mourning. Well, she mentions institutional mourning and um, that really stood out to me because it talks about how like these schools are not just these places where, at least for me, I can say, I didn't just go and say, all right, I got my education, give me this book, I'm walking out the door. This is where my friends were. This is where the lunch ladies (laughs) who cared about me asked me how I was doing and talked to me. Right, schools are a very big part of our like youth, like our experiences, children. Exactly, exactly. And I, and we, and we lose not even just those personal individual connections, but we lose that community resource. And unfortunately, just because of how this country is set up, schools provide so much for the community, whether that's access to food, you know, that's access to, to, to warm um, temperatures during the winter here. Yes, exactly. I feel like, um, especially during this whole COVID-19 thing, the importance of schools and the communities have, has been highlighted. Like, I mm-hmm. feel like it's, it's brought that to attention. Like, people don't realize it until it's like, oh, the children are not going to school. But for some kids, what does that look like? What does that mean? What are they mm-hmm. no longer having access to? So definitely... It's, I can't even, sorry, I'm still like on the 53 schools, like yeah. what? Like that's a lot of schools, you know what I'm saying? Like, wow, that's so sad. Yeah, yeah. And um, so looping back to, you know, Eve Ewing, she's talking about this institutional mourning and how like it's a loss because we're, we're, we're then reminded of that loss because that empty building is still there in the community that you pass every day. And that 
you know, when thinking of how has being from Chicago kind of shaped me as, you know, who I am and as an educator or as an activist or just as a person, as a sister, as a friend, it's seen the the wonderful potential that we have to actually support people and care for people and how because of politics and white supremacy and racism that we don't and we just let it fall to the wayside and we accept it as business as usual. Um, so I love my city. Don't get me wrong. I was like, you know, Chicago till the day I die. <laughs> <laughs> Period. Period, poo. Um, but it definitely is, it can be disheartening for sure and sobering. Yeah, I would say that, you know, I think people get confused when you criticize a place. I mean, I mean, I think a certain demographic of Americans are guilty of this, where they think that you can't criticize something and still love it. But I feel like when you truly love something, that's when you need to criticize it. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's when you need to demand better, because if you don't demand better, then do you really love it? Like, we can even take that to relationships. Like if I claim to love my friends, I can't just let them do whatever the hell they want. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like I definitely would say I could, I know how passionate you are about Chicago. I mean, just because I know you, but even in this conversation, you can hear that passion and how much more you want for your city. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. So you mentioned that your current school is about an hour away from Chicago. How are you liking it over there? I, you know, <laughs> Chicago is a, <laughs> Chicago is a very, you know, big city. I mean, I think everyone knows that. And so, where I live now, our population is about forty three thousand or so. Oh, which is like a neighborhood in Chicago. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, it's 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 much smaller, and it's you can tell it's much so centered around the university that's here. Um, it's predominantly white, and I think that's very noticeable in at least some of the reactions that I get, like, when I'm out. There's never been anything super overt, but you definitely sometimes get the sense that someone's wondering why you are where you are. But, um, my first big shock, honestly, when I moved here was I was, you know, when you move somewhere, you're cleaning and you plan to buy things and things like that. So I go to the Walmart here. And I'm looking for, I think it was towels or something. And I look up and they have guns in this Walmart. <laughs> oh, no. And believe it or not, you know, people talk about Chicago. But when you look at like the statistics and the data and things like that, a lot of Chicago, as far as gun laws, um, the gun laws are, str- are stringent and, and very severe. It's some of our neighboring states where they're not as severe as some of our neighboring counties. And so in Chicago, you can't go into Walmart and get a gun. There's nowhere in Cook County where you can go and just get a gun at the store. Hmm, I wonder why. Um, And I'm here only, what, an hour in some away? And I look up, and in the sporting goods section are all these rifles and knives. I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) So it was definitely a shock. Um, And they also sell spray paint here, which is something that you can't sell in Chicago. Hmm. Um, and so I, I highlight that because that was one of the biggest differences for me, um, just when it comes to perceptions. Right. Um, but as far as actually living here, the cost of living is much cheaper. My car insurance premium went down when I changed my address. 
I get to live alone, which is great. And you don't have to worry about like paying for it because the cost of living and things. Um, but it definitely is not a place where I think I could see myself settling down. Hmm, that's interesting. I just feel like it's not an accident that all of those things are so much more accessible given um, what you were talking about in regards to like the makeup of your neighborhood and such like I feel like I don't know I I could get into it but I'm gonna just <laughs> I'm gonna just not <laughs> but you know what I mean you get what I'm saying right <laughs> yeah like hmm interesting interesting how things switch up depending on the demographics of the population mm-hmm. so you got your bachelor's in management what sparked your decision to get your master's of education in counseling and specialize in college counseling specifically? Uh, well, really, I guess that path became a little bit more clear for me at the end of my junior year of my bachelor's degree. Um, because I, I, I'm in the business program at the school, which is known for its business program and I have all of these peers who are starting their internships and, you know, applying to full-time jobs. And I'm just sitting there like, I don't want to do this at all. So I was in TRIO and I talked to my TRIO advisor and she's like, have you ever heard of student affairs? And I was like, no, <laughs> tell me everything. And she's like, well, a lot of what you've already been doing is student affairs. At that point, I had been in residence life. I was working with fraternity and sorority life, uh, multicultural student affairs. I was doing really a lot of different functional areas of student affairs. So she's like, you know, I think you already have a passion in it and you can go to school for that. And so I was like, all right, I need somebody to talk more to about this. So I emailed our vice president of student affairs who I did not know. <laughs> and I was like, hey, I'm interested in this like field maybe, can I meet with you? And fortunately, Veep Jean, wherever he is, he might still be there, um, was like, yeah, for sure. So we scheduled a meeting, I learned about it. I got introduced to an organization I could join nationally to become more immersed in the field. And I chose DePaul again for my degree because one, I was able to have a double demon discount. And what that means is you get 25% off your tuition. Okay now. Exactly. <laughs> I hate paying full price for anything that'll probably come up again later. And uh... <laughs> I feel you on that. <laughs> So I got that discount. I already knew people who worked in student affairs there. And I knew that the program I was going to apply into, which was the Masters of Counseling, just specializing in college counseling. I knew the people in that field for that uh, school were very interested into furthering the mission of the field of counseling and like of student affairs and stuff. So Really, it was just I knew I loved working with college students. I knew I loved helping college students because I was a first-gen student. As I mentioned, I was low-income. I lived on campus my first year, and I should not have because who had the, the coins for that? Listen, can we talk about the robbery that is, well, I don't know like if you had to, but at SCSU, when I was a freshman, it was a requirement. And I had a cousin. That, I don't know. I just feel like it's a setup. So... <laughs> Definitely is a setup. The schools that do that. Fortunately for this one, it wasn't. 
Um, because the way DePaul is kind of set up, it's very much so immersive in the neighborhood. So it's not just like you go to this area of town and this is just DePaul. It's like this block is DePaul, but this house is like somebody's just house. Um, but I wanted to live on campus because I, I needed to get away from home. <laughs> I was like, I need some independence. Fair enough. And uh, I definitely had some learning lessons with my roommates that I had. I had two white roommates in the Northeast, and that was a very interesting experience. Um, but nevertheless, I knew that I wanted to, to really support college students in the way that I was helped. And um, I knew that at that point too, I was really starting to become interested in counseling. So there are some master's programs that are just like higher ed or just higher ed leadership or educational leadership but I really wanted that counseling component. And then by the time I was done with that degree, I was like, oh, I want to teach counselors. <laughs> so that's kind of how I got to where I am now. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. wow. <laughs> that's just a lot. Like, I don't know that many people, like either one with a PhD or two currently getting one. So I just think mm-hmm. that's so like amazing and awesome and just, Hats off to you because I'm pretty sure this is going to be the last degree for me. I don't know if I could do a third one. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you aren't just a PhD student, right? Like you also, actually, no, no, no. Let me, let me backtrack. So how would you say that journey has been different than those two journeys? And also, I mean, I feel like you moving away for that would also shape that. Just tell me more about that. Like, what would you say? Yeah. Um, well, even when it came to why, like, pursuing the PhD, um, I did that super last minute. I tell myself I'm going to have this website and have a blog on there. Mara, you'll have to, like, get me together on that because I never pay attention to it. Let me know. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm definitely out here helping people that want to start blogs if, they're, if they really want to. So just let me know. Keep me posted. I will. Um, so just to give insight, and I have a bit of things up there, but I decided I was going to apply for my PhD in November of 2019, and my application was due January 15th of 2020. Or, sorry, 2018, 2019. Years are weird. Nevertheless, I have three months to do it. Oh, um, wow. And I, like, drove myself crazy doing it. Um, but, you know, to your point about how this journey was different... That was honestly that first difference for me. Like my master's program, I knew by the time I was graduating with my bachelor's where I was applying to, what I wanted to do, what my goals was. For this PhD, it was like, oh, I found it out, but I got three months to to begin this journey. Um, And so it definitely is more time consuming than my bachelor's program by 100%, at least for me. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, as far as the, the additional work that I do here, um, I, as I mentioned, I'm not a fan of paying for things full at all for full price or as any you price. should it be. So, so I chose where I'm at because I knew that I could uh, have a, a graduate assistantship. And then I also knew that my grant that I have for my master's program would follow me. And that grant is from the Illinois Board of Higher Education. So. I knew that like at minimum the funds were set and so that was a really big push for me to just go ahead and do it. But my week, at least this past year, was doing my GA for 20 hours a week and then I was doing my internship which was seeing clients 
about five hours a week direct time with them and then like notes and observations and supervision and consultation and all that good stuff and um because I didn't want to I one I couldn't I literally could not afford to pay for this program and two I didn't want to pay for it even if I could pay for it right um the biggest struggle for me honestly has been the writing time I I love reading I love learning and exploring new ideas but in a doc program it just feels like there's so much to read at least for me there's so much to read there's so many theories to better understand there's so many new interventions that are happening that might be useful so like you want to read about it and sometimes feeling overwhelmed of like all this information all this thing I need to input into my brain and I'm just gonna sit here and eat some hot Doritos so it's they're good. <laughs> I love a spicy chip. Listen. They're so good. Okay. Um, but it's just been... And, and as you mentioned, I moved here by myself. So that was, you know, a, a thing of me packing in my U-Haul and driving here by my lonesome. And if you didn't know... Moving by yourself? That just sounds horrible. Yeah. <laughs> It does. Every <laughs> time I have to move, I'm like, just throw everything away. I'm going to start new. Like, I can't. Moving is so stressful. And to do that by yourself, hats off to you. Thank you. Fortunately, fortunately, I mean, I, there's so many things I could even tangentially get into, but I'm not. But fortunately, moving from my storage unit into my U-Haul, a sorority sister helped me with. And then when I made it here, two sorority sisters helped me move my stuff from the truck into my apartment so okay that's good yeah so that was really nice um but you know having to to be here by myself and start this program that I didn't know one if I was ready for um didn't know if I was like competent enough didn't know if I was ready to be a scholar you know or an expert and having those labels thrust upon you and do I deserve that right and so all of these different Ooh we wow no like you really like i've talked about it on this show many times like you really just hit the nail on the head at least for me like pursuing my jd i've had similar Ooh, okay sorry <laughs> no yeah and it, it is real and so i always struggle between or not even struggle like I, I go back and forth that's a struggle between is this imposter syndrome or am I feeling like this is imposter syndrome because really I'm not being supported by my institution and the structures that are in place here? And, and, I, <laughs> and like, and I'm sure I'm not the first person or the last, you know, who who thought about that. But sometimes I'm like, is it really that I didn't know this because something's wrong with me, or because this information is not clear, and because like it's in this unspoken curriculum that I don't know about yet or that I don't have access to yet. So I've definitely been having to navigate what it means to be a PhD student and what it means to be perceived as a PhD student while interacting with people in my cohort who very much so perceive me as a black woman. Um, I had a tough time in January with my program and at one point one of my cohort members told me I was intimidating. Not intimidating. You know what, honestly. <laughs> Yeah. What did you say, girl? <laughs> Just tell me what you said. I ain't even gonna get into it, but what did you say? You know, it was over a long period of things that was also happening in that class, but it what stood out to me and what I named was 
maybe 10 minutes ago, that same person told me that I, they considered me a friend. Um, and then it was, oh, but you're intimidating me because you're so smart. And uh, that's, a, that's a very interesting thing to hear. What? <laughs> Um, okay. Um, yeah. And so navigating, you know what, I'm the youngest person in my cohort. I came straight through from my master's program, which is something that I typically don't even recommend for people, but I also knew that like I wanted to do it. Yeah. And so having to, you know, deal with some of this perceptions around my age, perceptions around my, comp my competence, perceptions around just what it means for this black woman to be in this program. And um, it's definitely been a very interesting journey. My goal is to be done in 2022. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. I just, yeah, I feel like that would be rough. I feel like even, I don't know, I took two years off before I went to law school. And even then, I feel like it wasn't enough time. So to go, well, then again, like you got your master's too. So that's like. Yeah, I fortunately, at least as I, I'm doing internships as well. And so my internships allow me to still get some of that counseling experience and still be able to see clients and work with clients that in theory I perhaps would have gotten outside of the program so it's really just me adding that on and it's been I'm doing that now as well for the summer um, so that's been really helpful too just working with different client concerns and with these different concerns that I'm working with them on it has allowed me to really grow as a clinician and also grow in my own journey as a scholar because you know I'll be confronted with something and it's like oh I need to know more about this and then I have to add that to my list so it is definitely a journey where you have to be open to not knowing everything <laughs> like you just have to be okay with reading more and asking questions and being really challenged with things that you typically hold as being true for you. Yeah, it, my, most of my cohort and most of my, my faculty are super supportive and are, are there 100% of the way. And I think that really helps as well. Because um, if I didn't have that, I am not sure I would be even doing this with you right now. I'm feeling comfortable talking about it. But I've, you know, I've been able to find folks who ride for me. Um, I have a very close friend in my cohort who's like, I call him right now and he'll come do whatever I need. So I really appreciate, you know, that. No, yeah, that's so important in these spaces in higher education. I feel like me personally, if I didn't have my unique um, squad, my law school squad, I don't know. I don't think I would have made it past the first year, to be honest. So I do think it's very important to cultivate those relationships where you can just well I call it like not wear the mask anymore if that makes sense well I don't know how your experience has been in your PhD but like for me mm -hmm. studying law and such like I'm definitely wearing a mask like 90% of the time so like having that group where you can just also vent about the struggle but not have to like make it more um you know what I'm saying you know what I'm saying no yeah I do and I have at least talked about it a lot more because in my bachelor's program I was like I didn't really think about it much and in my master's program I started to think about it more because I was in a counseling program we do a lot of thinking about how we're feeling and perceiving things yeah and uh, when I made it here I already knew like I was coming in with these perceptions people might have and then I was also coming in with all this doubt and, and fear and anxiety and it's really pushed me to be like, no, like this is who I am. Um, and 
literally I remember talking in class like I love being angry like you know <laughs> like I'm not gonna shy away from this idea that like black women can't be angry like, exactly. yeah I love it <laughs> yep yep so um you know really wanting to be mindful of am I being this way because I am trying to like overcompensate for a stereotype or am I trying to not play into something or if I'm trying to do the opposite right and it's like well you think black people like this so I'm gonna love it but really interrogating what do I like who am I outside of all of this baggage and that is how I try to come to class it it doesn't always happen right like sometimes I'm, I can't curse you out you know <laughs> right oh girl if I could I would but I cannot right you know and no one wants maybe I don't know I won't say no one but it might not look the best with me as a counselor with like you know a criminal record so <laughs> right the, yeah. the character and fitness on the bar has saved many a people <laughs> Uh, but yeah, but definitely, you know, I do feel like at least with some of my, my close friends in the pro in the program, we can have that venting session and we can have that. Did you hear what so-and-so or what did you think about this reading or do you ever, you know. do you ever have, um, like moments during the discussion where you just get that, you, you and somebody else just hit that look where you're like, mm. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> You're like, did did they really just like? I love that. I love that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because you know, and, and it's so helpful because sometimes you do feel like, and and Mar actually, Mara, you know, because I've probably done it for you all before of me being like, am I tripping? No, literally, you and you for me. Like I, when we have you know discussions that go one way, and it's like, um, <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> you're like, um, am I crazy? Like. Am I taking this the wrong way? Did I say something the wrong way? Did they mean what they said? No, I literally was going through our group messages. Um, somehow I ended up at like at the top of the thread instead of the bottom when I was texting you for your number. And I just remember it was like this one situation and you were like, um, did I say something wrong? And I was like, no, girl, I didn't read anything wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I think you were 100% right. If I could say more than 100%, I would say more than 100%. It was just funny because like, that's what we're talking about right now. Yeah. And it's just like, so it's helpful to have that because you do have those moments where sometimes you are like tripping and you're in the wrong. For sure. Definitely. But, you know, being able to have that person who's like also like this. Did you just hear? And it's like, I did just hear. I knew it wasn't just me. So <laughs> it's like I thought I was going to have to get the Q-tips and clean out my ears. But no, I heard correctly. Yes, yeah. So that has been it has been great. And I can say it has helped us grow as closer friends too, like those people who we can then have that discussion about it and how it landed for each of us. So um it definitely still provides moments of growth even when it's born out of a moment of frustration. I agree with that for sure. So right now we're recording and it's still May, but by the time this episode comes out, it's going to be um, June, but May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And, you know, I feel like especially for people who are going into counseling, it's so important for you all to manage your own mental health, right? Like even therapists have therapists. So how do you make sure that your mental health is a priority in your life? And what do you do besides go to therapy, which, as I mentioned, is very important, um, but what do you do to regulate your own mental health? Uh, a lot of it for me, honestly, was first becoming comfortable with naming that I wasn't okay. 
I I grew up and, and again I've talked a bit about how I, I grew up but I was never really in an environment where we talked about our feelings a lot like I knew I was loved yeah um, but it was never like, you know, here's this feeling word chart and <laughs> how are you feeling today? Yeah, no, um, same for me. And so it really got to the point for me that I had to re- really bring attention to my own health and wellness. Um, in 2017, I lost my, um, I lost my grandmother. Well, let me go in chronological order. I lost my dog in September. <laughs> And then I lost my my paternal oh no my maternal grandfather, um October thirteenth, and then I lost my paternal grandmother on Thanksgiving Day. Oh wow! Yeah. And so, you know that's that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even put it in any other words besides that's just a lot, and I'm sorry you had to go through that all at yeah. once. Yeah, yeah. And I remember, you know, being in my master's program and I it had got to the point where I was getting maybe three hours of sleep at night. I was getting so anxious during the day that like I couldn't sleep at night because I wanted to write a list to make sure for the next day I was, I you know, had everything planned out. Um, I, my, I was clenching my jaw more, so I would have jaw pain. I was having headaches more. My appetite was not doing the best. And things and things just kept happening, you know, month after month. And eventually I was like, I am not okay. And so I'm and at that point I'm in my master's in counseling program. So if anyone should know sooner than where I made it to that point. <laughs> but you know, when you're in it it's it's so hard. Yeah, definitely. And so I started counseling then and off always being a strong believer that as you say, you know, counselors need counselors, as we all say. And that was really a very important lifeline for me um so of course therapy but that first step really is recognizing and being able to know what those cues are that I wasn't doing okay or that you're not doing okay whether that's your sleep or that's your eating or that's your irritability and then once I notice that then I can start doing the thing so for me a lot of that truly is taking care of my plants uh, I do live alone now, and so a lot of the things that I could typically do, like have a friend come over or talk to my roommate if I wanted to, I just can't now. And so having something in my home that is living, that I can care for, and that I can see day to day, you know, how it's doing, Are, is it browning, <laughs> all these other things has really helped me. Um, doing meditation and yoga, creating a wellness plan, I have in my phone um, shortcuts and you can create a shortcut on iOS for iPhone. And one of them, unfortunately, is like, hey, I just got pulled over. Here's your shortcut. Um, and so that, that shortcut is this is the text that gets sent to two people that I care about. And then a video will begin to record and then that video will get sent to them. And then another text will get sent to them saying I'll contact them when I can. And um, that's a very unfortunate thing to have to do. but yeah uh especially you know in light of a lot of the police brutality now um yeah let's mm, are you okay with shifting that conversation that way like right now yeah yeah because i i definitely think your suggestions are super important um especially you know being able to recognize when things have shifted i think that's such an important thing because when like you said when you're in it you don't realize it but also there are those little things where you're like oh i've only been getting 
this amount this much amount of sleep or oh i'm only eating one meal a day or oh i haven't talked to anyone in a week you know what i'm saying so i think recognizing it is super important and i'm super a proponent of meditation um I don't do it as often as I should, but I try not to put shoulds on my life, but I do want to start doing it more. And I just appreciate you sharing all of those, you know, tips because, you know, a lot of people don't even know where to begin when it comes to getting their own wellness in check, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And I have a handout that I'm trying to work on, maybe adding that to the creative commons or something um, because it gives like little tips around daily activities. So that could be affirmations, writing in your journal, doing exercise, calling a friend, eating, showering, like things that. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, you, people you forget know. to do these yeah. things when they're going yeah. through it for sure. Yeah. Um, so definitely have some more kind of like daily practical things too that I do. Um, but really in light of, you know, you wanted to pivot kind of towards police brutality and it, yeah, just yeah, police yeah. brutality and you know how, I mean, me personally, I know how I'm protecting my mental health during these times. It includes a lot of blocking people on social media or even yesterday. Um, and just as some background, I mean, I feel like it's pretty obvious for a lot of people, but I am like social media. Like that is my thing. Like a lot of people watch TV. Um, I'm not a TV watcher. It re it's really rare for me to sit down and watch TV, but like I'm definitely someone who can scroll on Instagram or Twitter for hours. I'm not proud of it. I'm working on it, you know, addicted to my <laughs> phone. But I like, so that's just all to say that like, it takes a lot for me to be like, I cannot be on social media today. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. yesterday I definitely, well, yesterday being Thursday, because this comes out on a Monday, but yesterday being Thursday, I definitely had to get off social media. Like I just could not. And that's how I decided to preserve my peace. I also wrote a blog unrelated to anything related to police brutality and murder because that just was my happy thing. You know what I'm saying? So how do you maintain or at least try to keep your mental health aligned or in check during these crazy instances of police brutality and murder? Uh, excuse me, allegedly. I don't know. I don't know. I'm in law school. But I still don't even know when you need to use allegedly. Sometimes you got to use it. So I'm going to just say allegedly a murder or whatever. But you know what I'm saying? Like, how do you deal with that? Yeah. Um, at first, I, a lot of people I've seen recently have asked, like, what was the murder that really was a catalyst for you? And um, I, unfortunately... I look back and there are so many instances of, you know, this, this violence and this brutality where it's like, I, I can't even pinpoint the one. Oh. I just knew, yeah. I just knew that at one point that this was ridiculous and I really became aware a little bit more intimately, you know, again, growing up black in a city like Chicago, at least for me, I was readily able to recognize racism and when I was being prejudiced against and when I was being discriminated against or when, you know, that, that subtle kind of racism was happening. But also as a, as a child and as a teen, 
we're not really encouraged to ask questions. And Listen, so- I have a whole <laughs> issue with that. No, I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off. But I was realizing, like, so much of my adult personality comes from the fact that, like, as children, we are not allowed to question anything, especially, like, in school or whatever, or even, like, with our, well, I'm speaking for my own parents, like, my mom as a child, her favorite line was because I said so, and it's like, no, like, explain to me logically why that is the case. Like, even as a kid, I knew, like, no, like, that doesn't seem fair. I don't know if it's my Libra moon or what, but I've always felt like that doesn't seem fair, and I feel like now as an adult i literally will question anything and everything i'm like but why and me and my mom still get into it now because i'm like but why and i'm not a kid anymore so i need you to explain to me but why is that the case yeah for sure and i mean not again like not to get off on a tangent but i definitely believe that children are like full people with like rights period and and deserve to like have their voice heard um so anyway though i became confronted with it at a fairly young age, especially when you look at the amount of money that Chicago as a city spends on cases related to police brutality. Um, and when you think about like the John Burge torture scandal, or you think about the black sites that we have in neighborhoods that police would take people to go torture them or to get false confessions out of them. And when you think about that, our most recent uh, appointee for the uh, commissioner role is someone who is very much so a white supremacist <laughs> and mm-hmm. so when you live here you're very much so confronted with the reality of it um, but as far as my my mental health I think social media has increased some of the visibility of it and so a large part of that for me is all right what do I have to mute <laughs> what do I have to block um, I don't watch videos of yeah, people you, you um, dying from police brutality. Yeah, I don't. I don't get how people can at this point. Personally, I can't. Uh, mm-hmm. As soon as I even see it, I'm like, mm, nope. Mm-hmm. And people, some do try to make you know the argument around like the most popular one as well. You know, Emmett Till's mom. Um, but I think we also need to interrogate the fact that it, unfortunately, it didn't work to an extent. I think of to which people were hoping. Um, to this day, people still are trying to shoot this tombstone, you know? And so whatever we're hoping these images do for the white conscience or for the, the conscience of this country, um, there's been decades and centuries of seeing this violence and seeing this brutality, and it, it hasn't catalyzed that. Um, right. I would even, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, I don't know. How do you feel about the argu- the the other argument that it desensitizes people to this shit? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, do you think that I do think there can be some desensitization regard unre- even if it's unrelated to this particular topic but um, we talk about let's say when you know like people normalizing red flags in relationships like well I didn't know that this was a, like all I saw was my dad doing that and my mom doing that so like I just thought that's what people did in relationships right so um, I think there can be almost a numbing effect because it's like, all right, what, what more, you know, what, what am I supposed to do? This feels too overwhelming or too weighty. And me, one individual person, what really can I do within my power to enact change? And, um, that is a hard thing to, to sit with. And so a large part, honestly, from my care, when it comes to my mental health is thinking about, well, what can I do that actually does something like, (laughs) even if it's just, all right, I am going to donate to this bail fund 
or I am going to do this webinar that talks about mental health or I am going you know, to educate just one person in my life that I actually care about. <laughs> right. Ain't you no know. free labor for people I don't care about. <laughs> <laughs> you know, on this particular thing. And I, I mean, I do think there's merit, right, in, in, in being there and supporting and educating folks. And that there's definitely people who that, that's their lane. Like, that is no, where you they know, feel def- comfortable. Definitely. It's a noble thing. It's just I can't. I cannot. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and knowing your limits... Um, and so for me, a lot of it was like, okay, who do I follow? Whose information that I trust? Unfortunately, there's a lot of misinformation. And some of that, at least for me, creates even more anxiety because I'm like, what is what? And then what? Yes, <laughs> I feel like it's so irritating because we live in a time where we have like, you know, like people had to get encyclopedias and stuff. And now we have so much information at the tip of our fingertips. So it's like, yes, that's great because people should be able to utilize this, but it's like not everybody goes to school to learn how to research something and how to verify what it is. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just like, yes, it's good we have more information, but at the same time, it's stressful because I feel like a lot has been going on with like, you know, I talked about this on another episode, like fake news or whatever. Mm -hmm. And like, it's this interesting paradox of like, yes, there is a lot of misinformation, but also you can't just be lazy and say fake news. Like you need to do the work to research it. And I feel like people don't want to do that work. And I think some of that, you know, is is not necessarily, uh, well, some of it for sure is I don't want to, (laughs) um, but I think some of it too is I don't know how to, my best friend is a, is a librarian and she like really gets to like, all right, this is like how to spot it. These are certain sites that like are typically untrustworthy. Um, but you know, when, when thinking about kind of the, and I don't want to speak about black people as a monolith, but kind of thinking about like the, the collective or cultural identity of being black, at least in this country, there's definitely sometimes a sense of grief um, and, and loss that we can't accurately pay attention to, right? Like we, don't have the opportunity and the time to actually hone in on that grief and deal with it because something happens again and that could be in your personal life that could be you know something happening in society that could be something happening in your workplace and so even now when we're thinking about we're in the middle of a pandemic over a hundred thousand people have died and this country for the most part just wants us to go back to business as usual and there's it's madness literally it's, vegas is going into phase two and i'm like i'm not leaving my house i don't know what the hell y'all are talking about <laughs> yeah so there's definitely this gap of being able to uh, attune to those feelings um and so i mean when, I, when i'm thinking of like well what can what can you do you know a lot of it you do sometimes have to take that step away talk to people know when you're not doing okay mute things when you have to it's okay to say, all right, I'm interested in this topic. I want to know what's going on because I care and because these people are on the ground and I want to be updated. And also knowing that if you are somewhere that's not where they are, realistically, whether or not you are asleep or not for an hour or so is not going to change the outcome. And that could be tough to deal with because yeah. we feel like we want to be there, right? Like exactly. I want to be in this moment with you. Mm-hmm. And we can now, right? Because right. 10, 20, not 10 maybe 10, <laughs> like 30, 40 years ago, that wasn't an option. Like you're not going to turn into the live stream of seeing 
the civil rights era. I mean, granted, that was more than 20 years ago, but you get what I'm saying. I got you. (laughs) Time is weird. I say that all the time. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so it's hard to really um and i mean and there are there are scholars and there are activists who are doing amazing work around what the conditions that a lot of us are living what that does to our mental health that is our physical health as well you know when we think about environmental racism um there are just so there are so many people doing amazing work and it's like wow this person has these words for something that i was only feeling or experiencing and that can be very helpful, but it is, take your time, take your time, find your, your bits of joy, whether that's taking a walk, whether that's singing a song, that's doing a TikTok for the youth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't get TikTok at all. You know, like whatever that thing is, um, one of the activities I recommend is creating a wellness plan, which is not something that I have like created. Uh, most notably, there's one on the Audre Lord website, I believe. But one of the things that I recommend people add to that wellness plan are where can I go for joy? So where can I go that will make my heart happy? Or where can I go that will make my mind happy? Where can I go that will make me physically happy? Where can I go that will make me happy about my community or feel happy within my community? So for me, that's volunteering. That's going to the library. That's you know, talking with my family, that's going for a walk in the park because I love being around nature. It's like finding what those moments of joy are for you because sometimes you have to fight for them. And, you know, really, really being intentional about knowing what that is for you. Even if it's just like, all right, I'm about to listen to a Beyonce song. Go for it. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely, yeah. I don't necessarily have a wellness plan, but I do have a, like, a, like, a, tried and true about three different things that I can do in any mood that I'm in and it will uplift my spirit. So I think that's super important. But you did mention that part of your wellness is taking care of your plants. And you also already called yourself a plant mom because I was definitely going to ask you if you consider yourself a plant mom. So that's funny that you called yourself that already. But what do you love about having plants besides like how they help you with your wellness? Like, I feel like they're super in right now and I totally want to be like a plant person, but I have enough self-awareness to know that I probably would kill the plant. So I'm going to wait until I'm better at taking care of my space before I get some. But what do you like about having plants? I, well, I grew up around plants. My, my great aunt um, and my grandmother, really every probably older woman in my family had plants um and like the hanging ones and the ones that'd be like you know all around the windows and things so always grew up with them um and that sense of kind of comfort almost um as I got older I didn't think I had a green thumb because I could not keep succulents alive and turns out succulents are just hard to keep alive everyone (laughs) I've heard that before um But so once I let go of the dream of succulents, I did a little bit more research. And when I moved here, really, um, a few people in my office knew that I was here by myself. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to buy some plants because, you know, I'm here by myself. And they were just so concerned (laughs) that I had moved here by myself and was living by myself. And so a few of them got me some plants. And um, I love them, one, because they're pretty, you know, they they do add uh, some spice or some some shine, some some pizzazz some to the life, room. Some life, some life to Thank the you. room. Some life to the room, 
And I like being able to figure out like, where am I going to put this one? But then I got to be mindful of sunlight. So they give me something as far as decoration. And as I mentioned, you know, with that, the mental health and wellness piece, but even besides that, the actual action of taking care of something outside of myself is I think a, a helpful reminder to just be mindful of community. I don't have really a community here. I mean, I have a few friends, someone I could probably reach out to, but I don't have a community currently where I am. And this helps me just be mindful of, yeah, I have me, I take care of me, I keep me alive and running as best as possible. And also I have a duty to these plants as well. And so therefore I also have a duty to my community, you know, if and when I'm in community again. So um, they're beautiful. I have a snake plant and spider plant and types of peperomias and philodendrons. Growing some herbs because I wanted to use them for cooking. Ooh, what um, kind of herbs? I have cilantro. No, I have Italian oregano, mint, and basil, sweet basil. I did have rosemary. She died on me. I think I overwatered her. Oh, dang. Um, Not the rosemary. And, I know. Um, and then I am growing from seeds now. Thyme, cilantro, and rosemary I'm trying again. So the thyme has already sprouted, and I'm waiting on the rosemary and the cilantro to do so. And hopefully I can keep them. And then also I'm growing some green onions because I cook a lot too. So, um, And that's another thing. I know we kind of got away from mental health a bit, but... We can always circle back to mental health, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Uh, The the acronym of HALT. So are you, you know, are you hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? So typically when I'm in not the greatest mood, I I like to... Oh, wow. That's so cool. (laughs) I'm going to start asking HALT. 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 Yes, HALT. (laughs) And so I kind of, you know, check in with myself too. Again, a lot of check-ins with self and be like, are you just hungry? You know, and that hunger can be, I'm really thirsty. Sometimes that tea for tired is also perhaps thirsty. Um, but I usually combine that with hungry and it's like, all right, I'm not hungry. It's like, okay, I am angry, but what am I angry at? Okay, well, I'm not angry. And it's like, am I lonely? I am feeling lonely. So then let me call someone, right? Well, let me do something that helps me be in relationship with others. I just really want you to know you just, first of all, I'm mind blown and you literally just changed my life. Like, I'm going to be asking myself, halt, halt. I'll be walking around my house and be like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> no, that's so it's useful. <laughs> yeah, it definitely, again, like, there's so many things in the world of mental health that I know I'm not the person who, like, created it by no means. Um, but it does help me check in with myself because those things are fairly easy to remedy um, if you have the means, right? Like, not everyone who's hungry, you know, has access, of course. Um, but you recognize, okay, I'm hungry. I might not have money to go for a full dinner, but maybe I can buy a granola bar if I have, you know, the available cash for it. And, um, so it tends to be kind of easier to remedy those things. Um, and so cooking back to my herbs helps me do that. Cause I'm like, all right, I'm hungry or I'm thirsty. So I'm going to make some tea and I'm going to grab some mint, you know, from my plant to put in my tea, which I'm about to do after we're done. <laughs> Um, Ooh, so what kind of tea? I'll probably just do a green tea. I love just green a, tea. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, my, my plant babies. No, that's good. And you did mention that you like to cook, which is something I was going to ask you about. I know that um, mm-hmm. um, 
have you started any new projects with like well first you said you like cooking and crafting so like have you started any new craft projects in recent times or you know what do you like to cook like give me well first answer the crafting question but we don't have to go into it too much but then you know just answer the crafting question then i'll ask my other <laughs> questions sorry it's been a while since i did a other person interview my last episode was a solo episode so i'm just i'm getting re reused to it again <laughs> you're good you're good um as far as crafting a lot of it at first was really just stuff for my like sorority you know we give gifts to each other oh, i love crafting um, for the sorority oh my yeah, goodness so that's always it. like cute and now i'm at a age in our sorority where I'm not making gifts for anybody. So <laughs> you make a gift for me. Um, so yeah, I, I haven't really done that in a while. My most recent, I guess, big crafting project, if you can even call it crafting, was I bought a cart from Ikea and I sanded down the top and I stained it and then I painted it and I painted the drawers. And um, that was very fulfilling because I was like, how is this going to turn out? <laughs> Dang, you got the skills for real. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, so that was my last one. I do plan on um, making a few things. I think I want to do a bookshelf and some stuff like that. But I haven't really... And I, I paint not like a professional or anything, but, you know, for relaxation. So that's a lot of my crafting, too, is just finding some time to paint on a canvas and giving it to my niece or something. Because she'll, she'll take my artwork. <laughs> No, that's super great. I feel like um, crafting or creating with your hands is very important, personally. But yeah, that's super cool. I wish, I just feel like that's so cool to just be so handy. Yeah, I used to do ceramics, like wool throwing, um, but I haven't been able to find one out here yet. So once I do, hopefully I can get back to making things because I do miss that, like making ceramic items. Yeah, I feel like that would be super cool to do as well. Um, but as I mentioned, you do like to cook and you mentioned it as well. So like what would be the perfect meal that you like to cook? Like when you're like, OK, I want to cook. So what are you going to make? Hmm. My friend, I'm actually I'm only going to tell this because I know once I tell my friends I said this, that they're going to get a laugh out of it. So <laughs> I I rotate my proteins. So I don't eat like the same protein back to back. So like if yesterday was a chicken day, today is like anything but chicken basically. And um, for whatever reason, my friends always catch me on a pork chop day. <laughs> so no matter like when they ask me, it's always like a pork chop day. So I always get made fun of that I always make pork chops and that I only make pork chops. But if I do make pork chops, I will add, you know, salt and pepper, of course. I use oregano, not oregano, I use smoked paprika and just about everything. I now use some of my fresh herbs with some of the little oregano, tiny bit of basil, tiny bit of rosemary, for some of that Italian herb seasoning feel. And then with that, I do usually roasted broccoli and then like some mashed potatoes or maybe some rolls and then I'll have fruit afterwards. So I try to be mindful of like hitting all the food groups. Um, right macro queen yeah <laughs> doing my best doing what i can um but yeah that's typically something that like is an easy go-to for me but as far as like desserts i love baking i recently just made a like a cream cheese brownie and it was so good all right now you're that. speaking my language 
<laughs> it's super easy. I can send you the recipe. Please. I'm trying to get into cooking. I, I told myself once quarantine started, I was going to come out of quarantine with all these recipes. And ask me if I have. No, I have not. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could be hard. Because at least for me, while I live by myself, it's like I have to wash these dishes. Like no one else is going to wash them but me. So that's like not always a fun part. And being hot, you know, I'm in the kitchen, but I do enjoy like cooking. I've made some really good food recently. I just added a highlight on my Instagram for some of my cooking, not to like become like a, like a chef or anything, but just to honor myself, I guess, in a way. Food is a good way to do that, I feel. You know, you always feel really good when you like make a, a complete meal and it tastes good. And, well, at least me. I can't speak for you, but you know. Yeah, I do for sure. <laughs> and like, and if it's not good, no one has to know. Right, ain't nobody gonna, I ain't gonna tell nobody. They'll be like, oh, how was that? I'd be like, oh, it's all right. <laughs> it was uh, amazing. <laughs> but no, so, you know, you're getting your PhD, you have your assistantship, you have your internship, you're a plant mom, you're doing all these different things that are just, one, very commendable, just me talking to you as your as your friend and your sister. <laughs> but you know you're making time for your mental health you're teaching me about mental health literally in this episode but how do you handle your scandal so how do you balance your busy life like how do you make time to do all of those things and not only just do them but do them effectively a lot of that for me is time management I wouldn't say I'm so far to the point where like I need everything to have a you know a specific schedule and it be set and it's unchangeable but really having an idea, or at least a template, a skeleton of what I want to do really helps. Um, the past two years, I've used the Passion Planner, and that's been really helpful. You know I as... love a Passion Planner, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you no, off. You're fine. Um, so that's been really helpful the past two years, just because I was so swamped with everything I had to do with my programs and schools and internships and work and things. This summer I've actually, well, this spring really, I started to transition to Trello. And this was not sponsored. <laughs> I love Trello. I literally just posted about Trello on my um, Instagram story and one of my friends, he was like, you always have some planner thing going on with yourself. I'm like, um, hello, we love a good plan. We do, we do. Um, so I use that because, I don't know, it's a little bit more dynamic, right, you know, than writing in the planner, but I also can have multiple boards, which is one of the things that I kind of struggle with the planner. It's like, I don't want to carry around multiple planners. Yeah, I don't exactly. Wanna, you know, crowd this. So really time management has been helpful. Even for the summer right now, I have my schedule. So like two to five CST is my productivity time. So that could be reading, that maybe that's cleaning, that's doing meetings and interviews, whatever. And then um, five to seven, that's like dinner prep and then dinner time, hopefully by seven. That has not been happening as on time as I would like. Um, <laughs> and then after that, it's like just do whatever I want. So really that kind of loose schedule has really helped me of not feeling like uh, some of that shame sometimes you can get when you feel like you didn't do anything with your day. Like, oh, I didn't do anything. Yeah. Oh, I'm so lazy. Or, oh, I'm so unproductive. It's like, no, I did. You know, I I talked. I did this meeting. And that was my thing that I did for the day. Um, also, I have gotten much better at saying no. Or I don't. I currently don't have the capacity to do so. 
uh, or you know what 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 timeline were you working with for this and just seeking information first before I say yes because I am someone who struggles with free time I love to do that's like my love language you know if you wanted to talk about those or like action an acts of service that is my jam give me some things to do oh really see i'm not a big acts of service person that's my smallest one i'm like mm, i don't know if i'm a control freak or what but don't don't do things for me i could do it but i love some quality time and i love um physical touch which mm. yeah quarantine has been rough on your girl yeah i bet um but yeah so that time management piece has really helped and my friends who I can call and talk to and remind me to relax and really just taking it day by day and then stepping away when I have to. On the weekends when I was like working for my GA, I did not check my work email because it's the weekend, I'm not checking it. When I got off work, I didn't check my work email. Uh, I don't check my personal like school email after 7 p.m. because if you email me after 7 p.m., my assumption is, you know, I'm going to read it the next day because it's not business hour. <laughs> right. So having these boundaries, which can be hard, especially when you care about the thing. Um, but it, it's really just a way for me to make sure I'm caring for myself and that I am not overworking myself to the point that I then cannot better serve myself. Like I can't give and give and give, you know, not to use the image of like an empty cup, um, because I, I don't, I think that that definitely has some merit sometimes, but just wanting to be mindful of how often we are really taking care of ourselves um, and how often we are attuning to ourselves and how often we are sustaining ourselves, right? Like when we're thinking about Audre Lorde and self-care, it's not that I go have like nine mimosas today. It's like, am I actually working towards self-preservation? And that's something that I have to consistently remind myself of because with this program or with my work and with the sorority stuff, you know, as a trustee, I can very easily forget that purpose of me making sure I preserve myself so that I can also work with my community to preserve ourselves. So, right. Exactly. Yeah. That's it's definitely yeah. so important. I do think that it's super important to preserve ourselves. Like, I'm really glad that you said that last because I feel that oftentimes people lose sight of that. It's so easy to like wanna be this noble person and have all these causes, but it's like, if you burn yourself out, you can no longer be of service to anyone. And you burned yourself out, like that's not fair to you either. So I think that's really important that you touched on that. Do you have any other advice for our listeners? I mean, yeah, I really don't think I would have anything too much different to share than all the things I have already shared. But I mean, you know, that desire to to work yourself into the ground and help others, that is normal, you know, that makes sense, especially when you care about it. Um, and it can be such an easy thing to do because when people notice you want to give, they're going to take. And it may not even be in a malicious way. It's like, oh, I know that Mara does this thing and that she loves this thing. So of course I'm going to ask her to do it. And you know, really having to, to be mindful of that. Um, I just wanted to further give some context to that. But really, though, be kind to yourself, be patient with yourself, and take care of yourself. 
We love to hear it. Well, I just want to thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. I'm going to just keep saying coming on to the podcast, even though we're not in person. Y'all get what I'm talking about. But no, thank you so much, Shara. I really wanted to have this conversation with you because you're somebody whose opinion and um, outlook and perspective I really value just as a friend and then also just like as an academic. I don't tell you often enough, but I always read like your Twitter threads and things that you touch on. I'm like, I learned something new today. So I appreciate you for that. Um, So yeah, thank you. Thank you. This was my first podcast. (laughs) All right now, first, but not last. I know. I'm like, oh, look at this. I know I have the gift of gab. So maybe I need to just become guests for everyone. No, but (laughs) no, I mean, once you do it, I mean, I feel like that's how it started for me. I was on um daniel's podcast and then i was like you know what i'm gonna just have a podcast and then well i i mean i wouldn't recommend like everybody having a podcast because it is a lot of work (laughs) but it is easy to become a guest once you've already like got your feet wet in the experience so i definitely and now you can add it to maybe not your resume but something once you get that blog running it'd be like guest appearances so yeah that's super cool i'll send i'll send you the link Maya, so you can be like okay this is what could be changed but really though i think i think this podcast is really helpful for people um you know having listened to most of the episodes i think i'm too behind but having listened to most of them and like the the content I think is really helpful and definitely some stuff that even if it doesn't directly relate to me or my field that I still can listen and be like oh okay you know that's interesting or you know wow I didn't think about that or this is you know helpful and I can rechange it to fit for me in this way so yeah I think this is a really good uh project or work that you're doing thank you so much I appreciate that all right thank you so much sarah um once again i appreciate you i love you i respect you and i really am happy that we were able to have this conversation thank you thank you i'm excited to hear it and and cringe at myself and my voice (laughs) girl i don't even here's a fun here's a fun fact people don't know about me besides to get clips for the promo i literally don't listen to my own episodes like i can't like I'm like, oh my gosh, is that what I sound like? But no, I mean, I think I'm getting used to it now, but definitely, like, fun fact, I don't listen to the episodes in their entirety once they're out. Well, mainly because by the time I record it and then edit it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so over it. Like, I don't even want to hear it. But then also my voice, I'm like, ah, I don't know. Is that like a thing? Everybody is just like cringe at their own voice. I think so. I haven't looked it up. I'm sure someone has done like research on it. right fun project to to look into but no thank you so much um thank you to the listeners for tuning in y'all have a great day and make sure to handle your scandal